Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello there. So wonderful to see you again at Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we've got a particular item you may find of interest. You may hear it in the background if we take a look at it more closely. It is an old antique grandfather clock. The craftsmanship of the wooden case is very old world. The innards, while it is of a newer old variety, brass workings instead of the uh, very old wood clockworks of uh, olden times. This is indeed a piece of antiquity and if you notice it is striking the hour as we speak and now I know that you're saying to yourself this is not the current time. This clock is, if I take a look at the hands, is striking midnight and while it may not be midnight as as we speak it is always midnight somewhere and therein lies the focus of today's episode of odds bodkins curiosity shop so let's pull out the mutoscope and take a look at the new netflix series the midnight club Now, The Midnight Club is one of those series I've been looking forward to on Netflix just for the sheer fact that this is created by Mike Flanagan. And I've I've quickly become a fan of Mike Flanagan's. He's done so much great work in horror, especially with some of the uh, some of the Stephen King adaptations. Of course, he wrote and directed Oculus, which I, I really liked. And he even mentioned, I believe it was on the King cast, <laughs> that it was kind of, he couldn't get the rights to or the studios wouldn't let him do an adaptation of King and I can't remember which of his short stories it was right offhand uh, but uh, he wanted to do that so instead he did Oculus he couldn't do this King adaptation so he did that which he openly says is kind of a not a ripoff but a, an homage we'll say to the uh, the King short story that he actually wanted to do Before I Wake which is a, a horror movie I think it's vastly underrated maybe not underrated I think horror fans like it. I just don't think it really got the uh, it got the press and, and got out there. It got promoted like it should have because it's I it's an uh, it's a horror movie I really enjoyed. Of course, Gerald's Game on Netflix I really like that. His Doctor Sleep. Well, I'm not a fan of Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. I loved. Mike Flanagan's treatment of Dr. Sleep, which, you know, it's the sequel to The Shining, the book. And, of course, things that happen in the book in The Shining didn't happen in Kubrick's. And it, he walked a fine line of making this uh, very faithful to King's Dr. Sleep while still making this uh, kind of a sequel to Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, which is, uh, you know, it's very divisive amongst King fans. Some people think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Other people like me not a big fan of 
Kubrick really changing the story, but I really did appreciate what Mike Flanagan did writing and directing uh, Doctor Sleep. And then, of course, he's done so many great shows for Netflix. The Haunting of Hill House, uh, which is kind of a loose uh, loose rendition of the, the book. Uh, the Haunting of Bly Manor, which I liked. Midnight Mass, which I absolutely loved. And, uh, and then The Fall of the House Usher, which we should be getting sometime next year. That's in post-production as we speak. But he's doing uh, Midnight Club, which uh, not... Not an author that I'm really familiar with. This is an adaptation of a Christopher Pike novel. And I, I'm not a I'm I'm not very well aware of Christopher Pike. I, I know the name. Uh, I know he's he was a popular teen, young adult, quasi-horror writer back in the 90s. Kind of the 90s were when he really was in his heyday, although he did really start publishing uh, his books in like the late 80s. 88, I believe, was the first uh, book that he published, but he was real big through the 90s. And by the 90s, I was, you know, I was in high school, uh, going into college. I was through college through the mid part of the 90s and, uh, and, out making my way in the radio world <laughs> by the end of the 90s but uh, but by the time I was in high school and by the time Christopher Pike was really getting into his own I was more into Stephen King and things like that I wasn't really into the young adult and teen quote-unquote horror and thriller stories I was I I was knee-deep in the meat and potatoes of it all with uh, with Stephen King and authors like that but I know my wife uh, was it, she, you know, she's a, a couple years younger than I am. So she kind of hit, uh, the Christopher Pike phase in, in the nineties and she loves his books. Uh, you know, she used to have a lot of them. I think she actually still has a copy of one of his books that, that she loved. So she wasn't really familiar with this, but she told me about, you know, some of the other stories he wrote and how it really did kind of lean into mysteries and thrillers and, and even to some degree levels of horror. And judging by the trailer that Netflix did for The Midnight Club, I thought this looks interesting. Now, I I'm going to be quite candid up front. I never read the Christopher Pike book, the novel The Midnight Club. I've done my research. I know uh, enough about it to know what some of the big differences are. I'm not going to focus too much on the differences between the book and the adaptation, just because, like I said, I never read the book. I, I will note when there is something that I'm I'm quite sure didn't happen the same way in the book, but I'm not going to focus on that, and I'm not going to hold that against this adaptation, because like I said, I don't really know the source material as as well as a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of huge Christopher Pike fans out there. I, I was listening to some podcast um, about, you know, people that uh, are just uh, devoted to, you know, doing podcasts, whole episodes uh, on various books and works of Christopher Pike. So there's some real hardcore fans out there. And I'm sure to them, uh, you know, this, I, I'm not sure how they would feel about this adaptation because it, it's not... It's faithful in some regards and not very faithful in other regards. And we'll kind of talk about that. But I love the fact that Mike Flanagan's a part of this. Uh, he created, he wrote, or at least was a part of the writing of almost all of the episodes, except for maybe one episode. Yeah, I think there's only one episode that he didn't have any part in the writing of. He directed uh, a couple of the episodes. So, you know, he has fingerprints all over this and really was the one behind spearheading this project. So, you know, like I said, I'm a big Mike Flanagan fan. Uh, and, you know, if his name is attached to this, 
I'm going to check it out. And and I have to say, for the most part, I enjoyed the story. It really didn't lean into the horror as much as I thought it might. It's kind of complicated how they set this up and how the book is really set up. So we'll just, I, I think we'll dive into that uh, as opposed to me giving my, my overall reviews right off the bat as to whether I really like this or whether I thought it was a faithful adaptation or not. So like I said, I'm going to focus mostly on the adaptation and not so much how things went down the book because I, I really don't know uh, the ins and outs of which characters were from, you know, in the perspective of uh, throughout the book. But I will say in this adaptation, you have the main character, Ilanka, who I believe is kind of the main character of the book played by uh, Iman Benson, which I, I thought she... She did a fantastic job with this character. And, of course, she's a young actress. She's only like 22 years old, so she doesn't have a huge filmography. But the stuff she has done, you know, it's a lot of stuff you've heard of. She was in the 2016 Uncle Buck TV series. Uh, she did an episode of Creepshow, uh, which I, I really It was the uh, Dead and Breakfast and Pesticide episode, which I thought was uh, was really good. Uh, and then, of course, she played Ilanka in The Midnight Club. And, and she's done a couple other things, things I'm not 100% familiar with, so I won't comment on them. But I really, you know, just what little I've seen her and just, I think on the strength of her performance in Midnight Club, I, I think this young lady has a, a bright future ahead of her. And she brought this character to life, uh, I would think. And, you know, just just from what I know of the character of the book and, and her performance, I, I just really enjoyed uh, the kind of optimism that she brought to this character. And maybe it's maybe it's inherent in the character as the novel goes, but, but she really did a great job of of this hopefulness in a hopeless situation because she's a teenager, you know, she's getting ready to graduate high school, go off to college, you know, she's salutatorian and so she's a smart girl and she's, I can't remember which college she's going to, but you know, big, big name college. Cause like I said, she's a smart girl. Uh, and then she finds out she has thyroid cancer and it's terminal. So she enrolls in this Brightcliff Hospice, which in the book, it goes by different name. Rotterham, I believe, is the name of the hospice. But in the in this, they call it Brightcliff. And she goes there essentially to live out the end of her days. All the while, she's looking for an unconventional cure. She's doing research on different holistic teas and herbal medicines and things like that. She just doesn't give up hope because she's young. She's got a bright future ahead of her. She doesn't want to accept the fact that this is it and she is going to die of cancer sooner rather than later. And it's it's such a, I mean, the subject matter is, is sad and tragic in and of itself. And it, it, there were some scenes in this that are really hard to watch because, you know, there, there's a couple things that, that really get me in the emotion. They get me in the feels, as the kids say, uh, or maybe the kids don't even say that anymore. Maybe it's just me. But uh, when something happens to an animal, especially cats, and when something happens to kids, you know, kids, especially young kids, they're so innocent. Uh, but even teenagers, you know, while they may not be innocent and they have, you know, 
foul mouths like sailors and they're, they're doing all sorts of things they're not supposed to. Uh, you know, teenagers are just sometimes too stupid to realize that, you know, it's, uh, you're not immortal and you don't have your whole life ahead of you sometimes. And that's tragic. And, and you have these teens like in this story that, well, they do things and get in trouble and mischief and stuff like that. None of them are bad teenagers. They're not bad kids. And, and it's just so tragic to see a life cut short far too soon far before it's time you know i lost a best friend uh died at the age of 21 in a car crash and you know this was you know almost what she's pushing 30 years ago what like 20 27 years ago 26 years ago and it to this day it still affects me and to you know to know that he had so much potential so much life left ahead of him it was snuffed out uh in a senseless act now cancer and some of these uh illnesses that these kids in this this series in this book have uh you know it's it seems senseless. It's nothing they could do. There's nothing that could have prevented it, I guess. But uh, yeah, to see life fading from from a young person, it's just, it's so sad. And so, it, you know, that really affects you as you're watching this. And this Ilanka character really embodies that, you know, she's just not going to give up fighting. And, and it brings hope. But then also when you realize that no matter how hard she fights, she's going to lose this battle and it's yeah it's 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 hard to watch at times but the actors just bring such life to these characters especially like Iman Benson bringing life to Alonka that it's just it's so wonderful to watch but you've got her you've got and and really <laughs> I've kind of mentioned this because this might as well be the midnight mass reunion show because almost all of the principal actors <laughs> save Annabeth Gish, Kate Siegel, Mike Flanagan's wife. Uh, I think those are two of the only like principal characters in Midnight Mass that did not show up in this. You've got uh, Igby Rigney, who plays Kevin. He was Warren in Midnight Mass. He's he's got leukemia and he is like he's like the the cool uh, good-looking kid, probably captain of the football team, uh, the kid in school that's really preppy and all the all the girls like him, but he's cool enough and nice enough that he talks to the the little people as well and hangs with them and, and he just he plays that character so well and and there's a bit of a relationship between him and Ilanka, Kevin and Ilanka, that they dive into a little more in the book. They don't really touch on it all that much in this movie or this this series, I should say. Ruth Cod plays Anya, Ilanka's roommate. She's uh, Irish. Uh, she's full of piss and vinegar, and uh, they don't get along at first. But then things happen. It's kind of that stereotypical. There, she's adversarial to Ilanka at first, but then grows to like her and respect her, and and they become uh, fast friends. And and she's she's such a, a treat to watch because she. She is the character that just doesn't give any Fs, and she is not afraid to say it. So she's fun to watch. Anara Simone plays uh, Sandra. Of course, she's from uh, Midnight Mass as well. She's kind of like the devout Christian, and she's always talking about God and and things like that, trying to convert all the other kids. And there's a she comes at odds with Spence, uh, who is played by Christopher Sumter, and and I like him because he's he's one of the complex characters. 
character is because he has AIDS. He's a young gay man uh, who's dying of AIDS. And in the book, I know that it's a secret. Like in this adaptation, uh, he's very upfront about the fact that he has AIDS. In the book, it's more of a secret that he's dying of AIDS. I think he's telling people that he has a brain tumor or something like that. He's really good because his character is complex. And it really, uh, you get to watch the uh, problems he has with you know, being a, a young gay man, uh, let alone one with AIDS, and how that affects his relationship with his mom, and how it affects his relationship with with other people, and it's you know he's he's an interesting character uh, because it really ties into some social issues without being preachy about social issues, which which I enjoy. I like when it's, when social issues can be addressed and statements can be made, and it's done in such a natural way like this. I I really enjoyed that aspect of it sheree is played by uh and i'm probably pronouncing her name wrong but uh adia adia uh she sheree is a character that is not in the book but she's kind of like the pathological liar she has wealthy famous parents and her character really you don't get to know her at first but the more you get to know her she's a good kid and and i really liked her character by the end at the first all you see is the lies and you're like oh, i don't I don't think I care for this character, but but she really is, you know, a, a good kid and does some really nice things. Um, I like how they treated this character, uh, being that it wasn't a wasn't a book character. Uh, I felt she fit in. I think they eased her in and made this character feel natural. Uh, Natsuki, uh, played by uh, Aya Furukawa, I'm, I'm probably butchering that name, and I, and I do apologize. Uh, I enjoyed her character as well. Uh, she has ovarian cancer. Um, she's in a relationship, or, or at least has a relationship with a mesh, played by Suri and Sepkota. Again, probably butchering that name, and I apologize. Uh, does a fantastic job. He handles the humor of it, and he handles the tragedy. You know, I think he has a heart condition, and you really get to see how he's dealing with that, dealing with his death day, meeting that, and then living past it. And and that was, it was interesting and, and heartbreaking all at the same time to see his character and, and the relationship with uh, Natsuki, uh, how that kind of came about was, was really touching to watch. Uh, a couple of other actors that are a part of this that I, I loved seeing Heather Langenkamp show up as uh, Dr. Stanton. She kind of runs the, Brightcliff uh, Hospice, and you know, see her show up. It just, you know, <laughs> I had to take it. I had to do a double take at first because I was like, "Is that? Yeah, that's that's Nancy from a uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street." So it was cool to see her in this. Doctor Stanton is very loose and kind of just lets everybody do what they want until the end. You get a little bit of a teaser that there may be more to this woman than anybody realizes uh which makes me wonder if they're going to do a second season of this uh zach guilford um of course you know him he was one of the leads in midnight mass he plays mark another character made up for the series but but i liked his involvement uh he's gay as well and you really got to see him kind of mentoring spence uh a little bit and showing him that you know uh there are people like him he's not alone so that was a an interesting character to watch another character that was made up for the show was uh shasta played by samantha sloyan uh again probably butchering that name i probably butchered it when i talked about this on 
Midnight Mass, but uh, she plays uh, a very interesting character that has uh, some different sides to her. I, I, I quite I found the character quite boring at first. I mean, I thought it was nice seeing her play what seemed to be a good guy for once when you saw her playing such a horrible person at Midnight Mass, but, uh, but there is more to this character than when you first meet her. And then, of course, there were plenty of other uh, kind of cameos from Midnight Mass alum, Henry Thomas and Alex Esso, Raul Cooley, Robert Longstreet. Uh, just uh, like I said, this might as well have been the Midnight Mass reunion show, but no, this is the Midnight Club. And so getting into kind of the uh, whole crux of this story is that you've got all these kids, they're at this hospice, they're all dying of some form of cancer or some other uh, disease, so they spend their nights at midnight, they meet and tell kind of scary stories. Now, in the book, um, let me just say this, in the in the show, you see a lot of ghostly things happen, and you see this in the trailer, so it's not a big spoiler, uh, but you see a lot of ghostly things happening um, throughout this Brightcliff hospice, and a lot of it really goes unexplained, and that stuff is only for the TV series. It is not in the book. Um, the only scary things in the book really uh, are the scary stories they tell. And even there, I don't think they go into too much detail, the stories, uh, because most of the stories we get are actually truncated versions of other Christopher Pike novels. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But kind of the through line of the whole movie or the whole series is there's these ghostly things happening at Brightcliff. There are things that deal with a cult that, you know, owned this house before uh, Dr. Stanton created Brightcliff, uh, this cult called the Paragon. And they dealt in kind of uh, a little bit of cultish, a little bit of witchcraft, a little bit of... Uh, praying to the ancient gods and the Greek gods and that sort of thing. Um, you really get little bits and pieces, hints here and there, until things all kind of culminate in the, I think it's the penultimate episode. Or maybe it is the the season finales when things kind of uh, really come to a, to a head. But like I said, the ghostly things that happen, uh, they happen, and some of them are quite creepy, but you never really find out anything about them. You have some some quasi explanations, like some of the kids have explanations for what they think it might be, but nothing ever is really definitive about the the old couple that is seen throughout the grounds that Kevin and Alonka see. There's a shadow thing that Anya sees and that uh, Amesh even talks about seeing. You never really get a definitive answer as to what these things are, which makes me wonder if they're going to do a second season. Uh, I've never heard of this as being a limited series, so so I don't know. It's really, It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But like I said, some of the more interesting stories that the kids tell during the the Midnight Club, uh, those were those were really the scary uh, instances. Now, there's the one. I think it's in the first episode where I think they they what set the record for the most jump scares in an episode, like with uh, 22 jump scares. It was it was a bit much. I believe Natsuki was 
was telling the story. And yeah, it was just uh, a ghostly figure in this story because all the stories kind of played out dramatically. You see the story as it's being told. And, and I like it because all the characters in their stories are played by the actors in this series so it, it almost feels like a troop of actors almost kind of has an american horror story vibe but uh but that that story with all the jump scares i don't like jump scares to begin with i think uh 90 of the time they're cheap only 10 percent of the time do they actually work and are actually good but this one these were not good jump scares I, I'll, I'll tell you that uh but then like some of the stories the first one is a, a story anya tells uh the two danas that's the actual only story from the novel the midnight club only in that it's called the devil and dana it was a creepy story all the other stories that the kids tell throughout this series are based off of other Christopher Pike books. Uh, Sandra tells a story, Give Me a Kiss, which is his, one of his, his 1988 novel, uh, Ilonka. Uh, her story is Witch, which came out in 90. Uh, Amesh does See You Later in, in 1990. Uh, I like that. It was about time travel. Kind of almost had a sci-fi feel to it. Road to Nowhere was the Natsuki story, which uh, that novel came out in 93. That was really creepy. That's I, probably to me, that was one of the creepiest stories. It almost had kind of a Stephen King riding the bullet feel to it. And that's the one that featured uh, Henry Thomas as Freedom Jack and Alex Esso as Poppy Corn. And it was it was such a great story and had such a, uh, you know, you kind of saw the, the twist at the end of it coming. But it was just so well done that you didn't mind that you saw it coming a mile away. And yeah, it just had some creepiness and some what the hell is going on at first. And then you're starting to say, oh, I think I know what's going on. So really loved that story. Kevin did The Wicked Heart. That was a really cool kind of serial killer possession type story, which I really dug. That book came out in 93. Uh, Spence did The Eternal Enemy, which that was another one. It kind of had a sci-fi feel to it, which was really neat. And, and I loved I loved how Spence plays the main character, Rel, in this story. And and it was just, it was funny because all the posters on his wall are like RoboCop and Terminator. And it's, it plays into the story uh, in quite a fun way. So uh, all the stories that they tell during the Midnight Club uh, in this adaptation are all, like I said, truncated versions of other Christopher Pike novels, which I thought was a kind of an interesting way to introduce more Christopher Pike into this and do it in the context of of telling stories and I, I just I really liked that I don't know the book so I don't know how much detail they went into with all the different stories that the kids tell in uh, the Midnight Club book so uh, maybe it was a good idea I like I said all the stories they told were really good so you know maybe maybe that was a, a conscious effort by Mike Flanagan to make sure that these stories that are being told within this Midnight Club series are really good spooky scary stories and 
And I think that worked. Uh, like I said, I don't know what the stories were like in the book, other than the fact that the uh, two Danas was in the book. It was a good story, but the other ones really just were, were fantastic. But ultimately, this is about a bunch of kids that are dying in a hospice. And as spooky as the stories are, and as spooky as the through line with the ghosts and the, the apparitions they're seeing throughout this, this is a drama about kids dying and dealing that and coming to grips with that. And you really got just a lot of emotion a lot of heart in this. Uh, I mean, there's some mystery to it. The thing with the Paragon and Shasta's involvement with Ilanka is is interesting. And you're wondering where this is going to go. And now I know the character's not in the book, so I don't even think... I, I'm guessing they don't even go this route with the, the Paragon cult. Maybe it's mentioned in the book, but I don't think... Maybe they don't go to the, the depths, but... But if I'm not mistaken, I think they do perform the ritual that's in this uh, adaptation. So it's it's apparently in there somewhere. Uh, I know that Ilanka and the, the gang all find a, a book, uh, a diary from uh, the Paragon and, and somebody that supposedly was in it back in the 60s, late 60s, I believe, when uh, Brightcliff was, was started. So uh, like I said, uh, there's a lot of interesting things, a lot of things that don't make sense. Uh, like I said, there's the bit with the shadow creature. There's a bit with the two ghosts. Uh, there's a bit with with Shasta and what her ultimate intentions were. Uh, and and I just, uh, you know, some of it just needed a little more time to, to flesh things out, which made me wonder, are they going to do a second season of this? They did essentially the book with this first season uh they could just use these characters and kind of continue but there again these kids are on borrowed time in this in this story they're all dying so can you go very far with this i don't know and maybe maybe it's all just left to there is no explanation you don't know why these entities are in this building. Uh, they just are. And and that's not the focus. The focus is that these kids are there. And like I said, they all kind of give... Natsuki gives her idea of what the two old apparitions are. Uh, Anya gives her idea of what the what the shadow entity is. Some of the things that you see happen aren't even real. Not a cruel prank, but but pranks being played. So uh, there's a lot of interesting things that never really get, I think, satisfying conclusions, which was a little bit disappointing. But like I said, ultimately, this show, as much as it was supposed to be about uh, scary stories, the show really wasn't about the horror. It really wasn't about ghosts. It really wasn't about scary stories. It was about these kids who are dying and their relationships that they form and the bonds that they form where sometimes their families can't be counted on, but they can count on each other. And that, that really gave this a lot of heart and made all the things that didn't make sense. You know what? I can look past those. Like I said, ultimately there was a lot of heart to the show. There was a lot of, I, I don't want to say, you know, there's a lot of things that almost came across as a little precious and a little too saccharine, but but ultimately, you cared about these kids. You cared about the situations that they're in. And there were some really good, creepy, scary stories that they told each other, uh, scaring the bejesus out of themselves uh, before you know they, they meet their maker. And, and a lot of the big theme of this story, whether it is in the book 
or in the adaptation is the afterlife. They make a pact with one another that whoever goes first, whoever dies first, has to do everything they can to make contact with the rest of the group. Now, in the book, it's a little more, I won't say nihilistic, but it is left very open-ended. Nobody ever hears any signs or gets any sign from anybody because in the in the book, somebody dies, uh, somebody gets better and, and leaves. Uh, I won't say who, but the, no one ever really gets any sign from beyond the grave. So it kind of leaves it open-ended. Is what, you know, is there anything out there? Now, in Mike Flanagan's adaptation of this it is a little less ambiguous uh there are signs and i think i think that lends itself to a a little bit of hope and i think that is what this story that mike flanagan put out there based on christopher pike's the midnight club i think it is a story of hope hope in situations where the odds are insurmountable hope against all hope and I think anybody, whether you are dying and you're having your life cut terribly short like these teenagers, or you're just somebody, you know, some poor schlub that's watching this on Netflix at home and you got to get up tomorrow and go to work and do it all over again. Uh, everybody needs hope. And and I think this kind of brought a, a little bit of a message of hope. Doesn't necessarily have to be a message of hope that there is a, a great beyond that we're going to go to with a great reward, uh, but just hope. And hope, uh, I, I believe it was Andy Dufresne said, is a good thing. Sometimes the, the best thing. I'm paraphrasing there. So ultimately, I liked this series, uh, The Midnight Club. Uh, was it as scary as I'd hoped it would be? Uh, I was kind of hoping there was going to be more, not explanation, just more. They didn't really dive into what was going on with these kids, these apparitions that they're seeing throughout Brightcliff. I wish there was a little more meat to that, a little more, more meat on that bone. But like I said, the stories that these kids told based on Christopher Pike novels were really good and they were really well acted and dramatized and to sit there and watch these stories unfold that these kids are telling was was fun and spooky and sometimes scary to watch uh, very thought-provoking at times each story that each kid told was kind of a, a story about themselves so we get to learn about them and and their fears and what they've got going on inside them as we see them tell these stories uh, these horrific stories uh, so that that was kind of interesting and enjoyable to watch and I, I I ultimately liked this adaptation uh was it perfect was it great uh I, I don't I wouldn't call it that did it deliver on the scares like I was hoping it would uh maybe not quite but uh, I tell other people you gotta manage your expectations maybe mine should have been managed a little more uh, maybe if I'd known the source material I would have been a little more hesitant to expect too much scary stuff because I think you got more scares in this adaptation than you actually got in the book so I will say that but I enjoyed it I enjoyed the actors I enjoyed the midnight mass reunion because like I said pretty much 
Uh, 95% of the cast were all in this uh, with some newcomers. It was nice to see Heather Langenkamp uh, show up in this as well. And, I mean, the special effects were okay. They didn't do too much with CG. Uh, but what they did, you know, special effects-wise, practical and CG, uh, they were fine. Like I said, there, there weren't a ton of scares, but I think they more than made up with that with good storytelling. So if you're a Christopher Pike fan, I, I don't know how you're going to feel about this because it is a, a little bit of a departure from the, the novel. But I think if you like good stories and you like good storytelling, I think you will enjoy this. If you never heard of Christopher Pike like I did, well, and I'd heard of him. I just never read any of his work. It's not going to be your favorite thing, but I think it's going to be worth the 10 episodes that it takes to watch this. And I think you'll enjoy it. It's definitely a young adult story that adults can, can appreciate. And like I said, it's got some creepy stories. I want to thank everyone for checking out my thoughts on The Midnight Club on Netflix. Check it out if you get a chance. You can find out more about Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop and what we've got going on on our Facebook page. Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, always posting trailers. Uh, we are in a bit of a transition. I am leaving my old podcast platform and going to a new one, a better one, I think. And it's it's kind of a transition. I'm leaving the old one because uh, they're having problems with their site and I don't know whether they refuse to fix it or they're taking their sweet time getting the hamster moving, but they're making it really impossible to to continue a podcast when when shit doesn't work 90% of the time. So I'm moving over to another podcast platform. Uh, right now, I'm loading all the stuff to that. All the new episodes are going on that podcast platform. In so much as the old podcast platform is not working right, I'm having a hard time getting all of the old episodes transferred over to the new podcast platform and the new page for that. So, uh, and it's, it's a slow process, but hopefully we'll have that done. But uh, you can check us out. Podbean is the the new platform and, and we're going to have things set up. Uh, I know you can check out the new episodes on Spotify and we're going to be getting things set up for, for iTunes and, and a lot of the other platforms as well. So please be patient, bear with us. And I want to thank you for your support and your continued support in what we do here no matter where you listen to this podcast please uh, subscribe download it like it all that jazz leave comments and leave reviews five stars would be awesome uh, but whatever review you leave we certainly do appreciate it so until next time thank you for visiting odds bodkins curiosity shop we hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon but even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. <laughs>